You know, we have been going through a series on prayer. We basically have been doing the month of December, walking through several P's of prayer. Did you notice that? I don't even know if you noticed there were P's in these, but there was the purpose in prayer. As we talked through, why would we even come to a God and have conversation with him? The purpose of prayer. And then we talked about the power of prayer. The power of prayer. And how does this thing work? This coming before him. How does this whole concept of a conversation with God get unleashed? And then we talked about praise last week. What does it look like to lift him up in praise through prayer? And the last one today that we're going to talk about is perspective. Gaining God's perspective as we go to our knees in prayer. You know, quite often what happens as we pray is we're changed. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to actually be talking about a man's life experience. This man was named Asaph. Asaph was called under the reign of King David to be one of those Levite priests who would be a musician. Now, they put symbols in his hand, so maybe he wasn't the greatest singer. We're not sure. But he had symbols in his hand, and his job was to clang these symbols as a call to worship. He was also listed as one of the singers. We see it in several spots in First Chronicles, in First Chronicles 6 and in First Chronicles 16. Asaph is called by David to have the most important job in the worship arena, calling people before God himself in the sanctuary, the Ark of the Covenant. So Asaph, on his daily duty, would basically pick up the symbols and he would step out in front of the Ark of the Covenant and he would clang these symbols together in a call for people to be able to come to worship the Lord. And all of those in Israel would come. They would come to the Ark for various reasons of worship, sacrifice. He would see the extremely devout and he would see the not-so-devout. And as he watched, who seemed to be getting blessed? And as he watched, who seemed to be struggling? There was something that went awry in his thinking. And he went into a deep struggle. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 73 today. And we're going to learn how Asaph saw and how Asaph had his perspective adjusted Psalm 73. The ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. If you do not have a Bible with you, we'd love to get one in your hands. So just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. We are going to be walking through Psalm 73 uh, in detail. So we'd love to have you have a Bible in your hands. Uh, just raise your hand up. They'll get to you. Okay. Psalm 73. We're going to walk through this verse by verse. So instead of diving in and reading, I'm just going to kind of open here. All right. Asaph. He's recording through poetry his feelings and thoughts as he learned and adjusted. Poetry. Remember last week we talked about some other forms of Hebrew poetry? This idea of rhyme and rhythm, they're not even there, right? That's Western English style. But what they do instead is they put a phrase and another phrase following. Well, there's another form of Hebrew poetry where they take that phrase and phrase, but then they also put the verses together in a way where they create a V, okay? 
So he starts explaining what's going on and what his struggles are until he hits a turning point. And then he explains on his way out how things are different. This giant V, okay? They call it chiastic structure for those who like the big name, okay? C-H-I, chiastic structure. But the reality is it's this big V that he's creating in the psalm. Psalm 73 is a pretty intense poem as we go through it because not only is he managing each verse with some kind of association, but he's got verses opposing each other throughout for us to learn from. So as we go through, I'm going to just kind of point out a few of them to you. You could do an intense study just of that alone, uh, which we're not going to do today. But uh, we are going to walk through and just see what he has to share about God's perspective, okay? So let's dive in. What in the world could Asaph be telling us about his struggles of what's true and what isn't? What do I do in order to find God's perspective in the midst of my struggles? God's perspective. Well, the first step he's got here, their foundation. God is good to Israel. This is their foundation. He's saying God is good to Israel. Notice that? Israel, yeah, they're doing okay. God is good there. But as for me, you see that? He says, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Now let's break this down for a second. He starts out with the word truly. It's only in this passage twice. Both times he's saying, this is fact. This is absolute. This is to be counted on. Truly, God is good to Israel. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. As we dive into this, we have to be real careful. He is saying God is good. Yes, merciful, gracious, kind, lavishing upon, caring for. But as for me, you hear the struggle? This is where he's starting to go, I don't get it. I'm actually Israel. I'm a Jew. God is good to Israel. But as for me, now the wrong thinking. So as he dives in here, he says, wrong thinking. When I focus on this world and myself, I doubt God and get discouraged. When I focus on this world and myself, I doubt God and get discouraged. Let's just start with verse 2. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. You've got to picture this. I mean, he is getting energetic. As for me... My feet, my feet had almost stumbled. My feet, the things that take me through my daily walk in the Lord, I almost stumbled. My feet had almost stumbled. Almost. I wasn't there, but I was almost there. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had almost slipped. Can you hear him getting passionate as he's bringing it up? I almost lost it all. I was struggling with where I was at. Why? Verse 3, 4, purpose statement. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious as I saw their prosperity. Can you imagine? He is standing in front of the Ark of the Covenant on a daily basis. He is calling people to worship. And those that are coming with much seem to be the ones who have it wrong. Those that are coming in prosperity and those that are benefiting, 
seem to be the ones I personally would label wicked. Thank you. I don't understand. I'm getting envious. I think I want what they've got. I think I'd rather be prospering like they're prospering. My feet had almost stumbled. He keeps going, and now he's, he basically just says, you want to know why I think that? Let me just tell you the advantages the wicked have. Here's some advantages that I see. Remember, this is in his almost stumbled state. This is the advantages I see. Verse 4. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. We might kind of consider that a slam today. (laughs) But to him, that was a compliment. (laughs) Things are going well for them, you know? I don't see any pain or suffering or struggle. As a matter of fact, they've gotten much, so much that they're fat and sleek in a positive way, (laughs) sort of, right? They have no pangs, no pain. I don't get that. Why aren't they struggling? Verse 5, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. You, me, oh yeah, pain, problems. Them, not so much. I'm not seeing it. I look and I see things going well. And I'm waiting for God to strike out. And I don't see it. I see more coming to them. More and more and more. I'm getting frustrated. Next, verse 6. Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Yeah, they have clothes. They have more clothes than they can even dream of having. And then on top of it, their character clothing, pride, violence. These people are focusing on the wrong things. They're going after the wrong stuff. From a character perspective, from a gluttony perspective. As a matter of fact, let me continue with that gluttony. Verse 7. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They are eating so much that their cheeks and their face are swelling up and their eyes are beginning to swell themselves. My word, they have too much. Can you hear him? I mean, he's going into a rant now. This is one of those moments where you kind of go, yeah, I understand. It's very, he's in a rant, okay? And he's just saying, their eyes are swelling. They're eating so much. It's ridiculous. I mean, come on. At some point, cut it off. I am getting sick of these people who have their wickedness and their heart in the wrong place. They come to me on a daily basis faking it. And yet God seems, seems to be blessing. What's going on? What is going on? Verse 8. Not only do they have problems with gluttony from the outside and the in, their hearts are overflowing with follies, but in verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. Does this sound like the bullies in third grade? Doesn't it? They have all their stuff. They keep taking everybody else's lunches. They're threatening everybody with malice. They're meanies. Like, doesn't it sound... He's starting to go after the whole third grade complaint, right? I mean, come on. When is somebody going to stop them? Don't we have a recess person who's going to watch over them? Right? Can you hear it? He's going into a rant. He's losing it. Okay? But nonetheless, seeming to be basing it on fact. Isn't it interesting how often we think we're seeing facts? And yet we're seeing a slant on those facts. That's what's going on. Verse 9. They set their mouths against the heavens. And their tongue struts through the earth. He's going poetic. You know what? These people aren't just against you or me. 
they're actually beginning to speak against the heavens. They are raising up against God himself. These people are focusing on themselves and they're bringing it everywhere. And I'm getting frustrated. Their tongues even strut for crying out loud. Verse 10, therefore, his people, God's people, turn back to them, to these wrongdoers, and find no fault in them. You seeing what's happening? Asaph standing at the Ark of the Covenant. He's clanging the cymbals, calling people to worship. And what he's noticing is over time, friendships are being established of the wicked with who had their walk together. And those who had their walk together are being pulled away. And he's watching the demise of those he loves. He's watching this interaction go on that seems to be saying, God is blessing the wicked. My feet had almost stumbled. I can't handle that thought. Are you kidding? That's not supposed to be happening. Verse 11, it continues. The wicked say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? In other words, they're questioning the very authority and knowledge of God himself. Can you imagine God himself being questioned? And Asaph is going, now it's time to rain it down. Now. 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 Come on, God, now. Where are you? What's going on? Can't you see these people? They're prospering on a daily basis. They are against even you. Come on, God. Where are you in this? Verse 12, Asaph says, let me just summarize. Behold, this word in the Hebrew is, you see it a lot, okay? This word, hinein. Hey, look at this. Look. Basically showcasing it. Look. These are the wicked. Always at ease, increasing in riches. No problems, no pain, lots of gain. I've got a problem. Asaph's position. Well, that's the wicked and how they benefit and how they get away with what they're getting away with. Asaph then says, what about me? Let me tell you something. I got some struggles myself here. This is what's going on with me. Verse 13. All in vain, I have kept my heart clean. In vain, kept my heart clean, my hands pure. I am working as hard as I can. And what is it benefiting me? I'm thinking not so much. He says, verse 14, for all day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Stricken and rebuked. Those are big words. Stricken and rebuked. God is chastening me. God is growing me. God is changing me. God is keeping the wealth from me. God is keeping me from getting the ease. God is keeping me from, keeping me from, keeping me from, but not them so much. What's going on? I'm struggling. Can you hear Asaph? His eyes squarely fixed on the world. His eyes squarely fixed on those around him who seem to be benefiting in the moment. And he's basically saying, not fair. Not fair. Now, with eyes fixed on the world and self, to be quite honest, because in the end here he's saying, I'm stricken and rebuked and it's just not fun, you know? This whole chastening thing is not really what I had game for considering they're not being chastened. Like, if we're going to all be chastened, fine. But how come he's not? I mean, I'm not really liking his swelling eyes right now. I'm getting a little upset at that. Asaph, this is a Levite priest standing 
before the Ark of the Covenant, wanting to have a pure heart and holy hands as he calls people to worship. And he's losing it. Can you imagine the angst? That's why he grabbed a pen. I better start recording where I'm at. This is not going well. What is happening? Verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. In other words, I can't even begin to put this on my lips. It's so wrong. But I feel it nonetheless. This is my struggle. Verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. I was tired. I can't handle it anymore. I'm exhausted. As I focus on the world, as I focus on the things around me, I am just devastated. I'm devastated. Haven't you been there? Have you watched friends where things seem to be going well and things are a struggle for you? I mean, can you feel what Asaph's feeling? Well, how come their job is going so well? How come their family isn't experiencing the problems we are? How come they're not going through the health problems? How come the money for them is not the issue? How come, right? And all of a sudden our eyes have gone off of him and down to what's in front of us. You know, my wife and I uh, got married in 1994 and uh, we bought a house. Uh, prices on homes right at that point were dipping a little bit and so were the uh, interest rates and so we were able to jump into a, a nice home in, in Naperville. And uh, we bought this house and we owned it for the total of about four days. We were in there and uh, we went downstairs and we had water seeping in the basement along the edges. It's dead of winter. It's January. And we've got water seeping in. Like, how can this be? I didn't think that happened, you know? And luckily, because we know nothing, we've never owned a house before. We're just standing there looking at the water coming in the crack, you know? And you're like, that can't be good. You know, that, <laughs> that's the most we've got, right? But John's stepdad was with us. And uh, he looked at it and he goes, it's coming in the edges. You guys, the water's just filled up in the tile all the way around the house. Your sump must be the problem. Like, okay, whatever. If you know what you're talking about, then let's take a look. So we pull the sump cap off and we look. And sure enough, it turns out that the sump is not pumping the water out. We couldn't figure out why exactly at first. You could hear it kind of grinding. And we're like, uh-oh, I wonder if it froze outside. So we go out and I take a machete because that's the only tool I had. So I've got this machete and I walk out there and I've got this black hose that's coming out above ground. So I, you know, like pretty, pretty manly, you know, and the water just goes spraying out. The whole hose had frozen and the water just starts pouring out of this thing. Okay. Now my stepdad's looking at it and he goes, you know, just so you know, that thing's up on bricks and it shouldn't be. We should set it down. So we readjust everything downward and that sump ran for the next two days straight, pumping water out into the backyard. We created a little lake or pond in our backyard <laughs> as everything froze up. You know, the water was coming in that foundation because water finds path of least resistance. We had a crack in our foundation. And it found the cracks and it came in. The foundation, God is good. Cracks in the foundation. I start looking at other people around me and I question it. Are you really good, God? then how come they're getting away with, how come you're not punishing them with, how come I have to go through, are you hearing the cracks? What are the cracks in your foundation? God is good and to be totally trusted. God is sovereign and his hand 
is meant for total growth and glory to him. Are you sensing a crack in your foundation somewhere? Where is it? What is it that's making you question God himself and his work? Are you frustrated with how things are going? Find the crack. It's letting in the bad, the wrong thinking. And in the midst of that, we start to doubt and question everything that God is doing. Where are the cracks in your foundation? It's time to get them sealed. It's time to get them sealed, whether from the inside or the out. It's time to go after what's my wrong thinking. God, help me fix them. You know, at the point where Asaph says, this is my wrong thinking, he gets to a point where he is going after the full rant. He was in verses 15 and 16. He said, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, verse 17, until, until, turning point, turning point here. When I come near to God, I gain an eternal perspective. When I come near to God, I gain an eternal perspective. Notice this until. This should be in like 18 point bolded font, right? Until, no longer, not anymore. This is where it stopped. I thought I could not handle it. I was wearied beyond belief, but here's when it changed. It changed, verse 17, when I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Notice this. God is good to Israel. God is good. But as for me, I almost slipped. My feet almost slipped. I almost stumbled. I was thinking this way, that the wicked were getting their benefits and not me. Until I re-entered a nearness with God. The sanctuary in the Old Testament, the place where God took up residence, and to be close to him, to be in his presence, you would come into that sanctuary. We have today the opportunity of a sanctuary by dropping to our knees in prayer. And we are in his sanctuary. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, just stop and communicate with the Almighty. Conversations with God start just by saying, Lord, I have a question. I have a thought. I am wearied with what's going on and start sharing your heart and start listening to him. We can enter the sanctuary of God daily, moment by moment. And what is it that he discerned? He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, because then I realized they weren't as fat as I thought. Is that what he says? Look what he says. He says, I discerned their end you see, he doesn't say, oh, forget it. I was wrong. I misperceived. There were things going on here, but I, I thought they were better than they were. No, that's not what he says. He says, I discerned their end. It's what's at the end that's mattering. It's the eternal perspective. I could not believe what I saw when I realized that the end was different than the middle. And that's when I went, oh, my foot is finding stable ground now. You know, I just put four ways to enter his presence here. Four ways that you can enter his presence. Number one, 
time in the word. We can sit down and read a passage of scripture and you can speedboat read that thing and not get anything out of it. So this is not what I'm talking about. Open it up, read as fast as you can, close it, move on. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. But actually spending time hearing what God has to teach you as you open the passage of scripture up that you're on that day, whatever it is, and you say, Lord, teach me what you got. What do I need to know? And go through and look for something there. Number two, pray. Conversations with God. Do you notice how the first series we did was about knowing him? And the second one is about talking with him. There's not a mistake in that. <laughs> the reason we did that, the reason that I came through those two series in that fashion was to be able to say, it's about being able to have a relationship with him by first knowing him and then adoring him. Time in prayer. Telling him where you're at. Sharing the struggles of your heart. Talking with him and conversing. Letting him know what your struggles are. Time in the word. Time in prayer. Time in solitude. You know, this is the stop the TV, stop the radio, close the book, try to get away from people for a little bit, and just spend some down, quiet time. Can you imagine being able to process through quietly on a regular basis the advantage that that can have? Taking some solitude time, that's a big deal. God whispers to you. He's speaking to you, but he's not going to scream over channel seven. You're going to need to turn some things down and say, God, what do you have for me? What do I need to hear? And then the last is time journaling. I don't even like saying that word because it makes me think of something very pink and flowery and like, so I'm just telling you, but I got to say, recording what you have been challenged with recording what your thoughts were and what God has given you through scripture and through time with him. What is it that's making you different today than you were yesterday? Record it. That goes a long way in being changed to be more like him and being in his presence regularly. Time in the word, time in prayer, time in solitude and time journaling, recording. Okay. Just four options for being able to say, Lord, I want to put myself in your presence Show me what I need to know. Now he starts coming out. Remember we talked about the V? So he's coming down. He starts with their foundation and then his wrong thinking. And at the base is this, this apex, this turning point of until I entered the sanctuary of God. So you see how your notes are going in and back out? That wasn't a typo, okay? That's so you're seeing the V, okay? Now we're on the way back out. Right thinking, right thinking, when I stay near God, I find him trustworthy and get encouraged. When I stay near God, I find him trustworthy and I get encouraged. Verse 18. Truly. Remember I said to you before, we'll see this twice. First was for verse 1 or verse 2. Second here is now. And what's he saying? Remember, truly God is good to Israel. And now truly how is he good to Israel? Here we go. You ready? So now he's getting his, his perspective shifted. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. Remember, we started with, but as for me, I was about to stumble or slip. I was in a slippery spot. Perspective shift. Well, actually, they're the ones in the slippery spot. They are. How? 
Well, he says, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Verses 18 and 19 are basically saying this. You know what? We better come to grips with this fact that they might have a moment of happiness or enjoyment as they take in more than they should and as they live a wicked life. But there is an eternality to their life that doesn't end with God. And that ends in extreme pain and extreme separation. Our goal is not to make life comfortable along the way. Our goal is to bring glory to God Almighty, to bring glory to the King of Kings who has brought us mercy and grace and righteousness. God is good to Israel, and surely or truly, God is good to you and me. Amen? Now, that's something that we need to be grabbing onto. And his perspective began to shift when he didn't look at the 70 years of life here, but he looked at the eternality of life and all that was going on for all of eternity. And then he goes, now I'm getting the picture. So here is growth moment. There is celebration and enjoyment for all of eternity. Here, I might have some struggles and I might not totally understand what you're doing, God, but you are sovereign. And for all eternity, no, no, no pain, no problems, no struggles, just joy and peace and rightness of relationship with you for all eternity. That is Asaph beginning to get perspective. And he says here, like a dream when, you, when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. In other words, you're having nightmares. And you wake up and you go, oh, it's just a dream. God's looking at these people coming against him, and he sees them as nothing more than a dream as far as how much they can hurt him. There is no offense to God in the long run that can take a toll on him. Is it wrong to his holiness? Yes. But is it taking a toll? Is it taking something away? He doesn't see it that way. God says, don't worry, I've got this one under control, Asaph. Don't worry. It's under control. I'm working with them. You'll see. We're going through this. Verse 21, Asaph says, now we've explored the wicked here. They actually have an end that is not the same as what it looked like. But here's what I get in my time with the Lord. Before, I thought I was just getting ripped off and I was getting wearied. But now, I see what I've got. Verse 21, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Remember the V? On the way down, he said, I'm getting it and I'm weary. On the way out, he's like, I didn't get it at all. I was ignorant. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing the opposite? He's saying, I totally understand now that I didn't understand anything before. My recognition is that before I recognized nothing. My understanding is that before I understood nothing. Now I get it. I get it, God. I'm with you on this one. I was messed up. I've got it together now. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Verse 23 starts out, nevertheless. In other words, I was in a bad spot. And I was there for quite a while. And yet, I was challenging the very authority of God in my heart. Nevertheless, God Almighty, in his mercy, reaching in to pull me back close and hold me and teach me and train me of what he wanted me to know. God Almighty, verse 23, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Can you picture this? The word picture here, 
of him walking, holding God's hand. We're back to like the three-year-old level, right? And, and the little three-year-old, as you reach down your hand and they just reach up and they grab a finger and they're holding on as they walk, that's the image that we've got here. As we get to walk with God, time with him, conversing with him, relational, sharing, laughing, crying. I get to be with you for all eternity. That's what I get. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. I have a tough time on earth. Yeah, maybe. But you are guiding me along. And in the end, all of eternity with you in glory, lifting your name up. I have the privilege of being able to see my God lifted up for all eternity. And I get to walk with him for all eternity. That is a perspective shift. Can you hear where he was? These guys are getting everything and I'm getting nothing. This is just not worth it. Oh my word, I have everything. I get to be with him for all eternity and I give up a few physical elements right here on earth, but for all eternity, I get glory with my God, with my King. Are you kidding me? A relationship that brings me ultimate joy and peace where all the rest is fleeting anyway? Wow, I was missing it. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Wow, what a shift. In the beginning, I am envious of what they've got. Now, there is nothing I want besides you, God. As we spend our time with him, as we spend our time taking a deep breath and setting aside the pain that we're going through, and we all have the struggles we get the opportunity of being able to experience a rewarding, deep relationship with him where we can be challenged and warmed to let go of what we're holding on to here on earth and grab on to glory with our king. We have the chance to call him daddy for eternity. Remember Romans eight fifteen, Our father, daddy, for all eternity, sitting on his lap, playing with him, joking with him. Just like over Christmas break here when I'm sitting back at home on the couch and the kids are jumping up on the couch next to me and I'm pulling one and two of them in. I looked over to John and I said, you're missing out, babe. You better get over here. Got some serious love time going on. Like that's, that's what it's about. It's about being able to snuggle up close and spend time together and get to know each other well and passionately and deeply and caring. That what conversations with God are. And it can shift your perspective as you grasp his perspective. You know, just two more verses here. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He's starting to find not only does he agree with him, but now God is his strength. He's gaining strength by being with him. God Almighty is the provider outside and in. Verse 27, behold, those who are far from you shall perish you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. I have eternal life with you, glory forever. And without you, it's not looking good. What's my perspective shift? My perspective shift is, I started out saying, I don't get it. They seem to be getting everything with no challenge. But what they're really getting is 70 years of a comfortable ride straight to eternal pain. That's not sounding so good. That's, sounding, that's miserable. 
what is it that I need to have in my perspective shift? If my eyes are fixed on the world, if my eyes are fixed on me and comfort, then we're stuck over here. If my eyes are fixed on God Almighty and time with Him and sitting in His lap and getting to know Him, then I'm over here. It's not about my comfort. It's about my King. It's not about my comfort. It's about my King. It's not about being with me daily and getting what I want. It's about being with Him for eternity and His ways and His glory being done. We serve a God who has designed us so that when we bring glory to Him, we are most satisfied. When we bring glory to Him, that's when the true joy starts occurring. Did you know that? You were designed to give Him glory. And when you don't, when the glory starts turning inward, it starts running amok and you get discouragement. And as soon as you turn it out where it belongs to Him, encouragement and joy and peace and satisfaction, the perspective shift of dropping to your knees in the sanctuary of God. We let go of me in this world and we grab onto him and his world. You know, we, uh, last Christmas, I was looking through a, um, while I was on the internet surfing for a Wii box. Okay. So these things are like 250 bucks and impossible to get back then. I don't know where they're at now as far as availability, but back then, horrible. And so I found it on eBay. They were at like six bucks. But like in the last two minutes, they would go up to 300. Did you see that last year? It was ridiculous. So I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, oh, I've got this baby, you know? And I get the numbers typed in and the thing jacks up to $300 right in the last minute. I'm like, no. So then I noticed some of them are going at like three in the morning. I'm like, nobody will be up then. So I'll wait up till three in the morning. So I'm up at three in the morning. And then you hear me in the middle of the living room go, oh, man, as the price goes up, right? So I finally realized, yeah, that's a non-working plan. So I type in on Google, free Wii. And an internet site comes up where you can get a free Wii box. So I actually go in and I look at it. And what it is, is like you have to sign up for a Discover card that has no monthly fees or anything like that. You just enable a Discover card against your name. And way to do Netflix for a month, that was five bucks. And, you know, it's like these little things that we're okay with doing anyway. We get a movie delivered to our house. We're fine with that. So that was December. <clears throat> in March, I found out that the, one of the three things I had to do didn't count because of some technicality that we'd already done Netflix one time. So, so I had to go back and do another thing. And John is like, you just need to drop it. You're losing more and more money. This is a scam. Just get away from it. And I'm like, I'm getting my free Wii, man. You know? <laughs> so I'm going after it now. Like now, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you're like cinching up the belt and you're like, no way. So then I get another piece of paper and it says, you know, you have to deliver this piece of paper within four days or we cancel the deal. And I'm like, forget you. So bam, they get it faxed to them that day, you know, and I keep going after this thing. July comes and I get a note in the mail that says, we don't have any Wii boxes, but here's a $250 check. So they gave us 250 bucks. I mean, that's not bad, right? So I hand the check over to Jana and I said, you know, I called a bunch of places and she called a bunch of places and they told us when they get deliveries. And I'm like, okay, here's the plan. Fry's delivers one o'clock on Thursday. So you got to be there at 12 o'clock. You're going to do it. And they, I don't even remember where you bought it from. Which one? It was Fry's. Okay. So we got it from Fry's. That's an electrical shop up around where we lived at that, that time. So they get in there and they ended up getting a Wii box. 
So we got a Wii for, you know, it cost us a few dollars by the time we got done with, okay, it cost us $50 by the time we got done. <laughs> there were a lot of little things I ended up having to do along the way, but it cost us 50 bucks for a Wii box. That's not bad, right? So this year, for Christmas, the Wii games were coming out, you know? So I got a Cabela's hunting game from my dad. Uh, they were here on Saturday or on Christmas Eve. And so I opened it up, and I would swear our kids were as excited as I was about it. Why? Because my kids love to hunt. No, my kids know I love hunting. And so for the next 42 hours, <laughs> yeah, we, we played Wee Cabela's Hunting to the point where my daughter Alyssa's looking back like, Dad, I just unlocked New York. It's awesome. You had to do whitetail hunting. And I mean, the reality is this. As you spend time with those you love, you become like them. And my daughters loved to spend time with me along the way. And this Wii game and this Cabela's hunting thing, maybe not their first choice of what they'd like to do, but because it ended up being us together, we had a blast doing it. And as we sat together and talked together and joked together and laughed together and missed the big deer together over and over and over and over again, as we did all this stuff, we started building more relationship. As you spend time with your God, you become more like him. And what he likes and is passionate about just naturally becomes what you're passionate about. And what he's going after and what he sees glory in, so do you, strangely enough. Because that's the way relationships work. We become like those we love and those we reach out to. As you spend time on your knees in the sanctuary of God, you can be transformed from the inside out in a perspective that was world-centered and me-centered and discouragement-driven, ends up being glory to God, encouragement, and passion. Where does it end up for him? Verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. Do you remember this statement before? His foundation now? God is my refuge. God is my refuge. Remember we started out, but for me, I almost slipped. Now on the other side of the V, but for me, it is good to be near God. It is good to be near him. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works forever. Forever. You know, we have a chance to have God as our refuge, our foundation. He is your safety. He is your security. He is your leaning. He has a passion for you. He has designed you just as you are. And he knows exactly what is fulfilling to you. And as you lean on him, he desires to bring you to your utmost for his glory. Not for your joy and for your comfort, but for his glory. And as he lifts you up, he gets glory and you are completely satisfied. And that is why we go to our God in prayer. Because we gain a relationship with him that builds us up gives us perspective, and lets us have the most ultimate satisfaction in a relationship with him that we can have. There is no better than a daily, regular relationship with the Almighty who knows you inside and out. Amen? That's what we're going after. Perspective by being with him. Spend your time with your God in his domain, gaining his passions in his view. It'll change your life.